Welcome to Machine Learning. Well, it's been another week, recapping this week. Um, did a lot with dimensional re- reduction, uh, re- dimension reduction. And uh, this morning, I was looking at uh, using random forests to um, determine my REM. And what basically REM does is it... Uh, it tells you which features are not contributing to the classifier or to the model. So you give it the classifier and then it analyzes and looks at uh, which features are being used to determine the outcome. And so it ranks it uh, from highest to lowest and you just take the, you can either remove the lowest tan, you can do a step function where you remove the lowest 10 per iteration so it'll cycle through its learning almost like epics in Keras. Uh, it's it's uh, it's uh, converging on numerically is converging on uh, some roots for the polynomial to get the, the answer uh, so it's a nonlinear function and uh, its coefficients basically make up the values for the Taylor series so if you were if you are doing uh, say like you were doing a linear regression uh, and it was a second order you wanted to look at the coefficients you could put them into a Taylor series and calculate uh, the point on the line if you were dealing with like some sort of curve fitting uh, and that was also uh, based on the probabilities but now if you're doing a classification, it's, uh, it's looking at what, uh, uh, what features are contributing to the outcome or the target. So REM was really important. Uh, it helps you remove the features that are not uh, necessary. And then it, therefore it reduces the complexity of your model and it and when you have a less complex model it, it uh, uh, takes less uh, memory to train and less time so less memory less time uh, logistic regression and random forests are very important classifiers in dimensional reduction I did a I, I in fact what I was looking at the Pima uh, diabetes data I used a KD plot and then I looked at uh, the groups that uh, I looked at insulin and the target which was uh, did they have diabetes or not and it was interesting because the um, the insulin levels were slightly higher for someone that had diabetes and I'm not a doctor, so I don't understand why the insulin would be higher. But it looked like the data suggested that those individuals who have diabetes have higher insulin in their blood. Um, glucose was higher. And the BMI, which is the body mass index, was higher. So it seems like if you were to, to classify diabetes, it would target individuals who are older, who are heavier than their body mass index, and uh, uh, have something where there's more insulin in their body. Their body's using more insulin. 
so um, that was kind of interesting. And then I also took uh, my logistics regression and I put a random forest, a decision tree. Um, and then in the decision tree, I graphed out the decision tree using some features and a target class and looked to see uh, how the, the decision tree uh, was analyzing the features. And that kind of give you a feel of whether you've got features in there that uh, uh, are not uh, being utilized very well or maybe not being utilized at all because maybe they have high variance or uh, they, the correlation between other, another feature it makes it unnecessary. Maybe it has a 100% correlation, so you don't really need it. Um, so, you know, one of the things I've been thinking about is like uh, you, going back to NLP to analyze sentiment and uh, look for negative sentiment. And when you find that negative sentiment in the data, uh, then, you know, pull that out, extract it out, and, and then uh, displayed in Power BI and bring that to the attention of the business. Negative sentiment could uh, suggest that there's, uh, there's problems and that they, you know, the satisfaction levels are poor. So those are areas that they need to, business need, would need to improve. Also, it could be in things of like uh, if there are complaints by employees, maybe there's something that's uh, going wrong in the work environment and uh, maybe there's not enough training or maybe there's not a, enough uh, focus on safety. And one of the things that workers have is for employee retention is that they need to feel safe. They have to need low incidence of accidents and also uh, recognition and also uh, reward for uh, performance. It doesn't have to be large rewards. It just needs to be recognition and, and small rewards. I read that the millennials are just asking for $150 in rewards, which is basically nothing. But uh, uh, they, they, that's what they want is small rewards and acknowledgement of their contributions to the overall whole and um, career path and uh, education and it doesn't it doesn't surprise me because they're the best educated wealthiest group and um, they're gonna want they're gonna want to to change the world and that's pretty cool because they're gonna bring the ideas that are gonna transform uh, the way things are done because if you want to get something done, you need a machine. And I learned this a long time ago when I was in the Air Force, uh, that you cannot, you cannot get quality by ideology. It has to be mechanical. It has to be a mechanical, repeatable process that will allow you to build quality. And that's through a machine. So you want to increase output, you want to increase quality, you do it mechanically. And that's where computers are so powerful is that they uh, provide magnitudes of, of work capability 
and it, you know the machine learning is really fantastic because it can uh, do performance that you could do statistically but it would might take you a long time for example if you could do hypothesis testing and you could calculate p-values and then you could do multi uh, variable curve fitting and then you could do uh, statistical forecasting all these all these uh, features are powerful uh, require knowledge of mathematics but the machine learning can be can summarize a lot of that complexity into APIs and you can build then your pipelines and uh, automate the flow of information into the model and then you know get a capture a return on investment from the uh, from the uh, usage of those models and then you want to be explaining the theory of why the model works because you need to have that forensics and there needs to be that feedback and uh, like the case with uh, business uh, they're going to use different terms like for example if you were running a campaign and you wanted to see uh, how much lift you are going to get by investing in a campaign maybe a marketing campaign and you knew the uh, target incident group and then you also knew the uh, pay payback per per sale and you also knew the cost you could put that into a simple profit loss formula calculate your your profits and uh, and then you would know how much that capping was going to return so a uh, very smart way of investing your money. So let's say you invest a million dollars into a campaign and you acquire, uh, you know, 5,000 new customers and the return on that investment uh, would made you millions of dollars. Then would you uh, call that a smart move? I think you would call that a smart move. And so you have this level of predictability that business understands. So when it makes a decision, it would say, okay, we're predicting that we will make X dollars by doing this campaign. They get sign off from management. They run the campaign, they run the advertisement and they see if the predictions are correct. And now if your predictions are half of the profit of which you forecasted, then they're gonna be less confident. Maybe you have reasons. Uh, maybe there was bad weather that week or uh, the, the, the campaign worked but the system was down and so they lost sales. Uh, so there could be things that are outside your control but yet business will want to know uh, kind of black box what if they invest what what will they get back out uh, in terms of return on that investment. So you might think that venture capitalists are are uh, parasitic and they don't really have a, a place but uh, they're also working along the business model they're saying okay we're going to invest so much money into the company and this will create uh, a certain amount of innovation during this time period and that innovation then is expected to uh, make a certain amount of money and if they get that certain amount of money then they've got a superstar and uh, 
And so for every maybe 20 companies that are not a superstar, they're going to have one that's a superstar that's going to make them lots of money. And that one company that does make them lots of money, uh, they get a good percentage of the ownership of that company, the management of the company, and probably a portion of the profits of the sale of the company if they go that way. So they're operating on a business model, which is that they're seeking profits. And, uh, and it's just maybe it's the edge that they carry or the arrogance. I'm not sure uh, why they've got such a bad rap. But it, it may be because they, there's an element of dishonesty on their part or they're forcing out ownership and uh, they're taking over the company and they're seeking these profits and they maybe they get the company in a nice position and then they sell it and they take their profits and uh versus someone who's built up the company who's invested in the technology who's trying to build a stable uh income and keep people employed long term and build the company so that it'll be around for 20 years and they're not looking to sell the company then the venture capitalists would be considered a threat because they, their objective is to make a profit and possibly sell the company. And so taking their money would mean that you run the risk of losing your company. Well, uh, what's, uh, what's the future look like? Well, they, the, this week, uh, Fed came out and said that inflation is going to be increasing. So if inflation increases, um, it's interesting because companies can't immediately respond to inflation. They can't just uh, immediately, you know, change the pricing and then uh, and pass that cost on to the consumer. Even though that that's the ultimate direction that inflation has on the economy is passing the cost on to the consumer, higher prices for products and services to compensate for the higher inflation. Banks do the same thing with interest rates. Uh, as inflation increases, the risk of, of, uh, of less uh, concentrated money paying back concentrated debt increases, so they, they need to increase their interest rates to compensate for risk and the associated uh, defaults that can occur when inflation starts to rise. Uh, because the economy is heating up and if it's not keeping up with the growth, the inflation then dilutes the money supply, making things too expensive. Wages don't climb as fast as the prices. And then you have, uh, you have uh, a crisis where people are finding it more difficult to live in homes, uh, feed their families, and pay their bills. And so that's a very negative impact of inflation. I don't like inflation. I don't think it should ever happen. I think it should be a money warehouse. Banks should store your money. They shouldn't uh, uh, charge interest or pay interest uh, and because they're not an investment house. And that's a, a, a very dangerous place for a bank to be is to be an investment because uh, there's the potential they could lose the money. And then, so if, you're, if, a, if it's a warehouse, I like Rothbart's idea um, that when you put a dollar in, you get a dollar worth of value out. And that means that you don't have inflation. You don't have, uh, let's say if you were to put a, a chair in a warehouse, you don't uh, expect when you receive that chair to, 
to have it partially, parts of it partially removed. It may still be functional, but parts of it removed is not going to be satisfactory. And that's what inflation does, is it, it uh, the government prints money and uh, increases the amount of available money that can be loaned. The economy heats up. And people start to work, and so they, you know, it's not seen as a bad thing for the monetarist intervention. However, the buying power of the consumer decreases, but because of technology and efficiency, uh, things become cheaper, and so the prices don't necessarily climb as inflation increases. So that will be the challenge in the future is how we produce more with less. And uh, definitely automation is one way that you can uh, increase uh, efficiency. I was also seeing this week uh, uh, the introduction of Case. Case is going to have these automated robot tractors that can work basically around the clock. And so increasing productivity, they're... Uh, I don't know if they have to have a human operator. That was one of my thoughts is, you know, yes, they're, they're automated. They can uh, disc a field. They can plant a field. They can harvest a field. But will they be able uh, to run autonomously for several hours or maybe all night performing particular uh, degree of functionality? And uh, if so, uh, what would that mean? in terms of uh, reducing down the cost for operations. All right, well, that's this week's recap. Uh, talk to you soon. Uh, until then, happy Python coding. And uh, send your uh, machine learning ML projects to me. 